Uh, let's get to the Word of God together. Matthew 5, 9. We're going to continue our series in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 9. The Word of God reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can, that you brought this partnership together, you know, our family and, and this full life family. Lord, we pray, God, that you'll just make this marriage a beautiful one where Christ is exalted, Christ is the center, and God, that all of us will just be hungry to know you more and to grow in you more and to become more like you and to live for your glory even more. So God, anoint these messages so that people's hearts and eyes will be turned to you. And Father, speak to us in ways so that uh, our hearts would be not only convicted, but God, uh, constrained to move, to obey your word. God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word peacemakers? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word peacemakers? You know, when I hear the word peacemaker, the first thought that comes to mind, to my mind, is someone who stops conflict. Like if two people are fighting, someone who gets in there and stops a conflict. That is a peacemaker. I remember in the mid-90s, when I first became a pastor, uh, I went to a children's camp, and I was just helping out at this children's camp. And these two kids, these two boys, they were, they were just kind of going at it verbally. And you knew that if you gave them enough time that they were going to get into a full-blown full blown fight. And so after lunch that day, sure enough, they got into this full-blown fight right there in the cafeteria. And one of the teachers runs along, and she grabs them, and she stops them from fighting. And she forces these two boys to not only apologize to each other, but then to shake hands and, you know, to go on. And she stopped the fight, basically. And that was pretty cool enough. But then all of a sudden, she turns to me, and she looks me straight in the eye. And with this really proud look in her face, she says, Blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> you know? And, and I'll be very honest with you, I was so impressed. You know, children baffle me sometimes. And so when she stopped that fight, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I think she really was a peacemaker. You know, she stopped that fight. But the question I have today is, that, is, is this, is that the kind of peacemaking that God is talking about here in this passage? People who go around the world and just stop fights. You know, is that what... God is saying that we should be doing with our lives. Uh, or is there more to it? You know, I think when we think of the concept of peace, what do you really think about? You know, I think of things like doves flying in midair. You know, I think of things like no war. I think of things like uh, Zen music, you know, with like the trickling stream sound. You know what I'm talking about? This types of things. You know, peace is so different. There are so many different visions, so many different envisions of what peace is, so many different understandings of what peace is. You know, a lot of times peace to me is just my kids being quiet, you know? So peace is different, I think, for each and every single person. We kind of define peace differently. So to get on the same page, and that same page meaning the biblical concept of peace, I thought we would turn to the Dictionary of Biblical Theology to see what their definition, their definition of peace says. And I think you might be surprised. Here we go. It says, Peace happens when God's authority and power over his created order are seen to dominate his relations with his world, including both the material and the human spheres. Did you guys get that? 
Is that too academic, too technical? It is. I had to read it like three, four times. But basically, to say it simply, peace happens when God's authority and power characterize all of our relationships. It's that simple. It happens when God's authority and power characterize all of our relationship. What? There's no talk about stopping wars or stopping conflicts or fight. There's no Zen music in the definition. There isn't, right? Because that's not what we're talking about. According to God, true peace is when or is about relationships operating under God's authority and power. And if you think about it, it makes total sense. Because if people have true peace with God, and if they have true peace with one another, then real genuine peace in every aspect is possible in our world, isn't it? Right? It can only be possible when people have true peace with God and true peace with one another. So to be a peacemaker means that we need to bring all of our relationships under God's rule. Being a peacemaker means bringing all of our relationships under God's rule. And in a day and age where nations are in conflict with each other, people groups are in conflict with each other, individuals are constantly in conflict with each other, being a peacemaker and not just a peace wanter is utterly crucial and needed in this world. But the question is, what does it exactly mean when to bring all of our relationships under God's rule. I mean, what does it exactly mean to be a peacemaker? Well, I think being a peacemaker means two things. The first thing it means is making sure that people around you are at peace with God. That's the first one, making sure people around you are at peace with God. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20. It reads this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now, this passage is actually saying two huge things. And the first thing that it's saying is that the whole point of Christ, Christ's death and resurrection, was to reconcile and to establish peace between mankind and God. You see, because of our sins, it says that we were not only separated from God, but we were also enemies of God. So, but God is all about reconciliation, isn't he? That's what we read in this passage. He's all about reconciliation. So what he did was he took the initiative to make peace with us by sending his son to die upon the cross to pay the penalty for that separation and the enmity and then resurrecting on Easter so that all of us, everyone in this world, could have peace with him. And if anyone wants to have peace with God, they simply need to put their faith in what Jesus Christ did on Easter weekend. Now, I know a lot of us who are watching here, we've probably put our faith in Christ at one time, and that's absolutely awesome. But if you've never put your faith in Christ and what Jesus did for you to make peace with you, can I ask you to put your faith in Christ this week? Please put your faith in Christ this week. You know, especially with this whole COVID crisis going on, we've been in lockdown for like four or five weeks now. I think if there's anything that's kind of creeping to the surface, you know, there's a lot of things that we need, right? Like toilet paper, pasta, whatever it is. 
But I think for a lot of people, they're realizing that what they really need most in this world is peace, like true peace in their heart, true confidence in what's going to happen tomorrow and who's really in control of this world. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace because he came to establish that eternal peace between man and God. And so if you've never put your faith in Christ, will you do that today? You know, Christ came to reconcile man to God. That's the first thing that this passage is saying. But the second thing the passage is saying is this, that God reconciled us to him so that we could now help others find peace with God as well. If you look at verse 18, it says that God gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says that now he's entrusting us with this ministry of reconciliation. What it's saying is that our old life with all of its goals, it's gone. The new life has come and that new life is characterized by people who will dedicate their lives to telling this world about how they can have peace with God as well. And the reason why God is so passionate about this ministry of reconciliation, the reason why God is so passionate about this is because he is reconciliation. He is all about peace. That's who he is. If I can say it this way, that's God's DNA, isn't it? And so that's why when we live out this mission that he's entrusted to us, not only is he calling us ambassadors, which he does in verse 20, but if we go back to our original verse that we're talking about today, he not only calls us ambassadors, he calls us sons. Right? He calls us his family members. Why? Because when we live out that calling, not, are we showing, not only are we showing this world that we carry the DNA of God, and that, we're, and that not only that, but we're actually injecting the DNA of God into this world every single time that we do that. And you know what that really does on a practical level? It proves to God and it proves really to us that we really are children of God. Because we're living just like he is. We're, we're living out who he is through our lives. And that's one of the greatest privileges we have as children. So, you know, I mentioned in an, earlier, in an earlier message about Blessed Are the Merciful a few weeks ago that God just loves it when we model his ultimate act of mercy in our lives. But here he kind of takes it up a notch, doesn't he? And he declares that this, being a reconciler, being a peacemaker, is the defining characteristic of his family, someone who is dedicated to bringing peace into people's lives. And that's when he looks at us. When we do that, that's when he looks at us and says, yeah, that's my kid. You know, that's my son. That's my daughter. You know, when, when I say that about my kid, it's only when I'm proud of them, right? When they do something embarrassing, I run away. But when they do something I'm so proud of, I'm like, dude, that's my kid. And I, and I make sure everybody knows. And I bet that's exactly how God is in heaven. So if we want to be peacemakers in this world, we need to make sure that other people around us are actually uh, having peace with God. And we do that by sharing the reconciling work of Christ with them. You know, even though we've been in lockdown now for a few weeks, I actually have been in, you know, hearing a lot of encouraging feedback over the past few weeks about the things that have been happening even in our church. I know I've heard a lot of stories that some of you are, you know, you're telling your friends, you're telling your family members to give Christ another go, to give church another go. It's so easy. You just have to click online, not only to our service, but other church services. And I think God is doing some great things through that. 
you know, if you haven't heard already, uh, some friends and family members, you know, have come to Christ in the past few weeks, and it's absolutely wonderful, and it's absolutely exciting. But the only reason why that happens is because you guys have been taking the initiative to be a son of God. You guys have been taking the initiative to pray for non-believers that you care about. You guys have been taking the initiative to pray for them and to share with them and to take those risks to, you know, so that they could have peace with God. And because of that, God is honoring that. And it's so exciting to be a part of a church where people really want to see other people come to know Christ. Let's continue to do that. Let's continue to pray. And let's continue to take risks to share the gospel with the people around us. You know, if you haven't already, can I ask you to start praying for and, you know, really praying, you know, regularly for uh, non-believers around you? Will you begin doing that? You know, there are a lot of things that are going on in this world that are not that good because of the COVID situation. But one thing, once again, that is happening is I think a lot of people are a lot more open to talking about life and death, you know, because that's what we hear. That's the first thing you hear on the news every single day. And because of that, I think it's a great opportunity for us to ask God to open up doors of opportunity so that we can share about our Prince of Peace with those who truly need it. So let's be God's kids. Let's take the initiative so that many more around us can be at peace with God. The second way that we can be a peacemaker is making sure that people are at peace with each other. In other words, making sure that your relationships with the people around you are at peace. Okay. Now, as difficult as it might be to be a witness, I know some of us are so intimidated by that, as difficult as it might be to be an ambassador um, and to share the gospel with other people, I kind of think the second point is a little bit harder because what it really means is that if we want to reconcile with people, that means we have to go to people who have hurt us and talk to them. You know, if you want to be a reconciler or a peacemaker, it means going to people that we've hurt and apologizing and telling them that we're sorry and actually trying to come to a godly resolution. And to me, that's really hard. You know, because you have to, in order to do that, you really have to humble yourself, you know, and that's very difficult to do. We don't want to do things like that. But maybe this particular verse will motivate you in Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24. It says this, God says, Jesus says, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First... Be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, what Jesus is saying here in these verses is actually mind-blowing, in my opinion. You know, because what he's saying is that if you have hurt somebody else, then reconcile with that person before you ever even think about coming to worship me. I mean, Jesus is literally saying that if you call yourself a child of God, then living out reconciliation in all of your relationships means so much more to God than worship. Isn't that crazy? We think worship is like the number one thing, but what he's saying here is no, it isn't. Being a peacemaker, being living in reconciliation with those around you means so much more to God than even Worship. I mean, that's how much God values reconciliation and peacemaking in our lives. It is absolutely primary that we live in peace with each other. That is priority over worship, and that is absolutely crazy. But it makes sense, doesn't it? 
Because the Corinthians passage said what? It said that he, re he reconciled us so that we could be reconciliation to others. Reconciliation is the tale or telltale signature of being the Son of God. So this is who he wants us to be. So to be a peacemaker means to bring all of our relationships under the authority of God. Not just the ones that are convenient, but all of our relationships. The one, you know, the people who have hurt us the most, you know, we need to go to them and, you know, reconcile with them. The people that we've hurt greatly, we also are called to go and reconcile with them. So to be a peacemaker means helping others find peace with God, and it also means making sure that we are at peace with others. In that way, we continue this ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you guys get that? Now, now that we understand what the verse is saying, how exactly do we live that out? You know, what does that look like in real life? And I actually started writing these ABCs and one, two, threes in it on how we can live that out. But instead, I read this other book where it kind of gave us, it kind of shared with me three qualities of a peacemaker. And I thought those qualities would be a lot more helpful to share with you so that you can become a God-honoring peacemaker in your life. So here are the three qualities. The first quality is honesty. You know, a peacemaker is honest about the state of his or her relationships with other people. If someone has hurt him or if he has hurt someone else, he acknowledges it. He admits it. He doesn't sweep it under the rug, you know, but he approaches that person and talks things out so that hopefully you can come to a God-honoring resolution. That's what they do. And I think, the first, I think the crucial first step to being an honest peacemaker is to really be honest about one's own sins that contributed to the conflict. A lot of times we think, oh, they hurt us. We didn't have a, our, any fault in it. But it's not true. A lot of times we've also sinned in that conflict as well. And isn't that what it says in James 4? Verse 1, James 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And what it's saying is that if you're in a fight with someone else, it's because you've sinned. Everyone's guilty in the party. And so being honest with our sins makes us repent. And the moment that we repent of our sins, we realize, oh man, I've contributed to the conflict and you know that that you know that really needs to be reconciled and what that does is that it puts us in the best position to approach the other person in love to approach the other person with humility and to approach the other person with this attitude to really work out a godly resolution you know i love it when people come to me i don't love it but you know i like it when people are honest with me if I, if they have a problem with me i love it if they would actually talk to me face to face. I don't like hearing it, but I like that they talk to me face to face. And the reason why is when people come up to me and share with, share with me that they have a problem with what I did or I might have hurt them in some way, when they talk to me face to face, it shows that they value the relationship with me. It shows that they really value our relationship and they want us to grow together. And so no matter how hurtful it is that they're sharing, what the things that they're sharing, the things that I did to hurt them, I actually walk away very, very thankful. It hurts, but I walk away very thankful because now I know, you know, with the ways I've hurt other people. I know now how, you know, how to change that. But more than that, you know, every single time that someone like that has walked away from me, after praying about it, you know, for a bit, my heart towards that person 
genuinely grows. And I'm, I become so thankful. And I really think that is the divine benefit of being honest, you know, and that's what strengthens relationships. So the first step really is honesty, okay? And let's be honest with each other. The second step is courage. It takes courage. And by courage, what I mean is the willingness to risk pain, to actually steer the relationship into pain in the hopes that you'll come to a godly resolution one day. You know, it's painful to tell people how much they've hurt you, right? And it's painful. You don't want to have that conversation. It's, oh, let's just leave it alone. You know, they know, I know. I'm sure it'll get better tomorrow. No, it's painful to actually talk about how much someone has hurt you and to approach someone to do that, right? Especially when they have no idea if they've hurt you. That's even worse. You know, it's also painful to talk to, talk to somebody uh, who may have really hurt you deeply or maybe even abused you especially when you're kind of convinced that they may not even care. You know, it's hurtful to do something like that. It's painful to steer a relationship into conflict so that God-honoring solutions can even be discussed. But a peacemaker exhibits courage, you know? And not only to introduce or to steer a relationship into pain, but even to choose to receive pain like Christ did, knowing that by, even by receiving pain, that is the best uh, choice that they have at that moment for a God-honoring solution. This is what I mean, and anyone who's married will understand exactly what I'm talking about. You know, when you're married, you, you have to be a peacemaker 24-7. You know, if you choose not to be a peacemaker 24-7, you're going to end up with a bad marriage. Every married couple <laughs> knows exactly what I'm talking about, you know? You know, I was hanging out with this one friend of mine, uh, it must have been like seven, eight years ago, and, you know, he's married, he has kids, and we're just kind of hanging out, two guys. We're just sharing our war stories. War stories meaning complaints about our wives and kids. You know, this is what we were doing. And, you know, at that moment, and, and the thing is, I love this man because he just has some of the deepest understandings of what it means to be a godly husband. And he totally understands somehow, some way, what it takes to live out a godly marriage. And so I learn a lot from him all the time. Anyway, he was kind of sharing with me at that back then many years ago that their family was going through a very traumatic time. There were some tragedies that occurred within the family, and so emotions were just sky high. They were just sky high. And he would say that he would come home from work many times after a long day of work, and right as the door is opening, as he's walking through the door, his wife would just come yelling and screaming, complaining about everything that happened that day and blaming him for everything that went wrong that day, you know, and just kept on going day after day after day. And so I asked him, well, what do you do? You know, how do you handle that? And then this is what he said. He said, Eddie, I simply remind myself that I am the luckiest man in the world to be married to this woman. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, but, you know, that's what he said. And he said, Eddie, she could be wrong a lot. And she's wrong a lot of the time when she's doing stuff like that. But who cares? I love her. And so you know what I do? I said, what? He goes, I apologize. And then I tell her to her face how much I love her. And then I do everything that I can to correct the situation that she's complaining about. And I said, oh my God, that's absolutely amazing. That's, you know, on one hand, I'm thinking that's absolutely amazing because, you know, it takes supernatural strength to do that. But on the other hand, the worldly man that I am, you know, I'm just like, yeah, but don't you also kind of feel like, you know, she's kind of like got your balls in her hands and she's just like <laughs> twisting them, you know, she's like controlling you and stuff like that. You know, I'm sorry if that's a two-rated MA-15. Maybe the godly way to say it. Don't you feel hard done by at times? You know, screw that. Anyway, but this is what he said. 
He said, no, I don't feel like that ever at all. I said, how? I said, Eddie, she's just being emotional. This is not who my wife is. What we're seeing today is not who she is. She's just being like really emotional. My wife is a loving, sacrificial, supportive person. And because I know that, and because I know who she is, I'm going to do everything in my power to be a supportive, loving, sacrificial husband, especially when she's going psycho, you know? And I was like, oh my goodness. And she said, you know, those things that she's yelling me about when I walk through the door, quite honestly, 99% of those things are not important whatsoever. If they were, we would talk about it later when we're not emotional, but because we're, you know, they're not, who cares? You know, I just listen to it and I just do whatever it takes to make the situation okay at that time. You know, knowing that this is not who she is. Um, and Eddie, if you think that my balls are being squeezed by my wife, who the hell cares? because I love her. And if that's what it takes in order for her to feel loved at that moment, then I'm gonna do it. And I was absolutely floored. I was absolutely amazed. Actually, I wasn't. I was, but I, I literally responded by saying, hey, if I ever like, start a church, I'm gonna invite you to be like the seminar speaker on how to be a godly wife, or how to be a godly husband, sorry, and how, you know, how to you know, have godly marriages, because if there's anything that this guy exhibits to me, it's courageousness. He's courageous. He knows when to act and when not to act. He knows when to receive pain and when to steer pain into a relationship at times. And that takes wisdom. That takes godly wisdom to do something like that. You know, a lot of people would have just retaliated. A lot of people would have just complained back. They would have gotten into a full-blown fight. But sometimes being courageous is taking the hits. It means taking the hits and knowing when to do that, right? So... Um, it's very, very difficult. You know, if Jesus was our example of peace, then if there's one thing that's guaranteed is that whenever we try to steer all relationships into uh, true peace, there's going to be some pain in one form or another. And even then, but even then, peacemakers courageously steer their relationships in that direction even though they might be convinced that a godly resolution might be slim. You know, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had um, that were very, very painful, you know, where I've, like, talked to someone who's hurt me, but they literally could care less, you know. And for me, just bringing that conversation up was painful. But what hurt even more is realizing in the middle of that conversation that not only does this person not care about how he hurt me in the past, but he really doesn't care about our future together, you know, and our friendship. And that's even more painful. Um, you know, it takes courage to open yourself up to pain, especially if you're not sure that a God-honoring solution can actually come about. But peacemakers try anyway. You know, if I can, let me encourage you. You know, I, first of all, I hope none of you have those types of experiences in your life. But unfortunately, it's, sometimes it is a part of life. But let me encourage you uh, in this way. You know, God simply calls us to try. That really is what it is. Being a peacemaker is trying. You know, we, we're, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to extend the hand of forgiveness. We're called to do the best that we can to reconcile. And that's what God honors. That effort, that, you know, that, you know the, the effort to try to do that with others. You know, we cannot count on the solution. We, we can't... We don't know if the other person is going to reciprocate or not. 
but God honors the fact that you're taking those steps in order to honor him because that's what a peacemaker does and that's what a reconciler does. You know, we always hope and pray that they'll reciprocate because, you know, the best resolution would be to move together in Christ, but sometimes that doesn't happen, you know, but we still steer our relationships in that way so that maybe one day, you know, God can be honored in that relationship. Peacemakers must be courageous. Lastly, it takes perseverance. And what I mean by that is sticking with that person for the long haul. I read this story in one of Bill Hybels' books. Bill Hybels is a pastor, or used to be the, is the former pastor of Willow Creek Community Church and, you know, in Chicago. And he uh, told us one story where he, was, he saw one of his friends, and his, one of his friends was going in the wrong direction in, the, in his life. You know, totally going in, in a sinful direction. And so he decided to take this guy out to lunch. And at that lunch, he said, hey, hey, friend, you know, I really see that your life is going in a very sinful direction. You know, so I'm here to just try to stop you. And then according to what he wrote, he said, this friend literally almost jumped the table and punched his lights out. And so Bill Hybels was so afraid. He says, okay, okay, fine. I'm so sorry. I'll never bring it up again. And he never did. Uh, fast forward that friend literally shipwrecked his life by going in that direction, by staying in that direction. And then Bill Ibels got to meet him a few years later, and he went up to him and he said, look, I am so sorry. I was a terrible friend to you. What I should have said at that lunch was, hit me if you want to. You know, I don't care. But I care about you, and I care about your future, and I think it's going in the wrong direction. I will stick by you every single step of the way, and I'll keep on talking to you like this because I love you, but I will walk with you to make sure that we don't go in the wrong direction together. And, if, and that's what he said. If he's, he said if he could have done it all over again, that's what he would have done. And I think we all want that secretly. You know, I would love someone who would stay on my case so that I won't do all the stupid things that I'm prone to do. I, I honestly believe that if all of us were left alone, we would probably not choose the godly direction in our lives. You know, we need someone, as, as much as we hate it, we need someone that will stay in our case, that we know loves us, cares for us, and is willing to walk with us through all of our faults. You know, is willing to understand that we're prone to wander, we're prone to sin, but yet is sticking with us because they believe that because God is in us and Christ is in us, that we can both become, have this godly relationship, God-honoring relationship together. You know, we need that. And that's why things like connect groups are so important. You know, if you're not part of a connect group, please join one. If you're part of one, please invest deeper in it because we need connect groups, people who will actually speak truth into our lives and stay the course with us so that we can actually live our lives for God, right? We were never created to live solo for Jesus, but we were always created to live. I think there's only one way we can live healthy Christian lives, and that's within community, so do so. Proverbs 27.6 is a great verse. It says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but only an enemy multiplies kisses. So if you've never said anything negative to your friends about their lives and the direction of their lives, are you really a friend? Right? Only an enemy makes them happy. True friends care about their friends and the direction that their lives are going in. And we need to be that kind of friend. We need to speak truth into people's lives and then stay with them, commit ourselves to them so that they can live out that truth together. Peacemakers stay, peacemakers persevere with their friends so that their relationships can become more godly together. That is a peacemaker. So honesty, courage, 
Perseverance are the qualities of a peacemaker, and when practiced, they help turn all of our relationships so we can live all of them under God's rule and God's way. So that's what it means to be a peacemaker. So let's commit our lives to bringing other people to God. Let's commit our lives to bringing all of our relationship under God's rule and ways. And as we do, not only do we inject his DNA into this world, but we become empowered to do it because his pleasure and his joy is upon us. That's what it means to be blessed. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's become peacemakers. Let's pray. I just want to invite you to a time of uh, a brief prayer. You know, maybe uh, during the message, God's just been speaking to you. Maybe there's someone that came to mind that you need to reconcile with. Maybe it's someone that you've hurt. Maybe it's someone that hurt you. The first step that we need to take is honesty. What sins on your part played in the conflict? Let's repent of those things. And then let's just really ask God to give us the courage and the love and the commitment to really be a peacemaker with that friend, with that person. That'd be beautiful. Maybe there's some non-believers that came to mind that you're like, oh man, I really need to pray for that person. I want that person to have peace with God. Start praying for that. Start fasting for that. Start investing in that person. Every single time we do, we live this identity out. You know, all of heaven rejoices. You know, we become sons and daughters of God. Can we do that? Why don't we just spend just a few minutes of prayer Let's just spend a minute praying and let's really ask God, God, let me live out your DNA. Let me just inject your DNA. Inject your DNA through me into this world, through all of my relationships. Give me humility. Give me the courage. And give me the commitment to love and to walk alongside other people so that they can have peace with you. Let's pray. Father, it's absolutely amazing. You know, a lot of times, every single day, we, when we look at our lives, we always think things like, oh man, if I can just become this in my career, or if I can just become that, you know, in my studies, or whatever it is, then we kind of think that, you know, our lives are set. We, we even convince ourselves that careers and things that we do can literally change the course of history. But you constantly tell us in Scripture that it is when we live out our identity as your children, to genuinely love our brothers in such a way that they can have peace with God and that we could have peace with them. This is what will change the world. This is what you consider Christ-like. And this is who you call a son, who you call a daughter. Father, we pray, God, that you will reprioritize our values. 
so that we would really want to become people who genuinely love you and genuinely love our neighbor as ourselves. So much in a way that we want to see them live at peace with God. So much that we want to see them live at peace with one another. Lord, help us to be humble and courageous. Father, give us the courage to commit ourselves to others in ways, God, that you will be glorified. God, that you will be seen, that your DNA will just continue to spread all around, you know, all of our, in all of our relationships. Because, Lord, we want to see you glorified and honored above all things. Help us to do that. Especially now during this crisis. Lord, what a great opportunity for people to connect. What a great opportunity for people to reconnect. What a great opportunity for us to share about this living Prince of Peace and what he's done for us. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to use the members of this church to make Christ known in this world. And Father, we pray, God, that through their relationships that you'll come to some godly resolutions. You'll help them come to some godly resolutions with them. We thank you. We love you, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to end our service today with a benediction. I know this is something that we, we don't do often, but uh, let's, uh, let's pray together, and I'll just close our service with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be generous to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.